All right, glad you're with us. 169 days till Election Day. You, we, the American people, you will be the ultimate jury. And what's happening? Uh, there's a lot. It was phenomenal from my perspective. NASCAR had, like, huge ratings over the weekend. They had this this Rory McIlroy and Justin uh, Johnson uh, golf uh, outing. Well, by the way, Jim Gray will join us later. How to open sports and open it safely. Uh, I had a friend of mine sneak to me a little bit some of the, the well, discussions going on with MLB. Um, it's going to be a, a fine, you're going to have to thread the needle to make sure that the players are paid, that the, that the owners don't lose hundreds of millions of dollars, how to bring fans in and bring them in safely, but at least they're having that discussion. Uh, the president uh, called in yesterday uh, to talk. This was during the TaylorMade driving relief event. Jimmy Dunn is the guy that <clears throat> put this on together, the guy that runs Seminole. And anyway, he called in and said sports are a vital part of the nation's psyche, and people were starving to watch NASCAR, starving to watch golf. They'd love to watch baseball. And opening it up, I think, is just going to be the biggest, safest sign that we're doing well. Again, I'm not, I won't belabor the point. It is, you know, we've learned lessons here. I mean, if you look at states that, that protected the elderly and most vulnerable, and if you look at states that didn't, you see a dramatic increase in the death rate in those states that didn't. I mean, it was so stupid, you know, to have these executive orders in New York and Pennsylvania, New Jersey and Michigan. She was awful. God awful. Uh, You see a dramatic, uh, dramatic increase in the number of people contracting Corona. And number one, number two, you see the dramatic increase in death. And a lot of this could have been prevented if you if they would have followed the lead of Governor Ron DeSantis. Uh, we do have good news on the corona front. Over the weekend, the president announced that U.S. researchers putting the pedal to the metal in their quest to develop a coronavirus vaccine by the end of the year. Uh, the New York Post had a uh, write-up on them today, and it sounds like the president may have had a heads-up, I guess, on today's big news, but the company leading the race now to develop a coronavirus vaccine announced Positive early findings today with participants producing antibodies to ward off the disease. Now, I don't want to get out in front of our skis here. It's very early. But in terms of viruses, it's not early at all. Remember, we we were able to break down the sequence of the coronavirus in record time. It used to take years and years and years to do this. You know, I've always said I believe in our medical community, our medical researchers, our medical scientists. They're the best in the world. Anyway, so the biotech company that's called uh, Moderna uh, dosed 45 patients. Again, anecdotal, just the beginning. But the fact that we're able to be at this point, at this stage in any pandemic, this is all record setting time. And nobody's ever broken down the sequence of a virus this quickly and gotten to the point now we're having human trials on this. Anyway, so they dosed 45 patients between the age of 18 and 55 with uh, 25, 100, and 250 micrograms of their experimental drug. Now, after receiving a second booster shot, 
those at the 25 and 100 dose levels, they were found with antibody levels that were the equivalent to or exceeded those found in patients that had recovered from COVID-19. Now think about that. This, this is at the low end of the dosage that they were giving out. They, again, you have these patients, 18 to 55, three separate doses, 25, 100, and 250 micrograms of their experimental drug. drug. After receiving a second booster shot, those with the 25 and 100, the low-end dosage levels, were found with antibody levels that were equal or exceeding those found in patients that recovered from COVID-19. Now, the CEO, uh, Stephanie Bansell, told Bloomberg that the results couldn't have been better. This is a good sign that we make an antibody that can stop the virus from replicating. Now, the experimental vaccine was found to be generally safe, well-tolerated among patients, and they're beginning now the next round of testing, which should begin in about a month or so. So that's all good news. Um, It shouldn't surprise you that these states that forced COVID-19 patients into long-term care facilities for the elderly or nursing homes, uh, yeah, they're about to get whacked with one lawsuit after another. These blue state governors, California alone now is facing at least a dozen lawsuits that include claims that the state unjustly closed down gun shops, religious services, infringed on freedoms. Uh, we, we're being challenged, Newsom said, uh, in, and he said, I guess, on Sunday, all across the country, every single day, governors are being challenged. Well, most governors blew it. Most governors absolutely, positively blew it. Those that did well, Texas, Florida, it shouldn't surprise you. Why? Because you've got, they, they both, both states have a high percentage of their population being older people. Michigan Governor Whitmer is up against the lawsuit in her uh, state's House and Senate over the extension of an already strict emergency order. Wisconsin State Supreme Court struck down that state's uh, safer at home on Wednesday order. And the governor of, of Tony Evers, a Democrat, overstepping their authority when extending the order. Kentucky protesters sued uh, officials, including uh, the governor down there, also a Democrat, for alleging violating First Amendment rights rights of people by banning any protesting. You got another lawsuit uh, and a federal judge blocking the Kentucky governor's ban on uh, in-person church services. The Texas attorney general, Ken Paxton, he warned that he could take action against the cities of Austin, San Antonio and Dallas if they don't scale back these orders. So, I mean, this is only the beginning of COVID lawsuits. Um, I I think the people that would have the probably the best chance would be people that were literally you you lose grandma grandpa mom and dad because you sent them into a, a a nursing home where the government forced those nursing homes to take in COVID-19 patients although they were screaming don't send them to us we're not prepared New York New Jersey Pennsylvania Michigan they had no excuse because the president was building and manning all of these hospitals and changing the ventilation like they did at the Javits Center for the 3,000 bed hospital there they only used a little over a thousand beds. They only used 182 of the thousand beds on the Navy hospital ship Comfort. It's nuts. You know, if you look at these states, there's such a dramatic difference. You know, New York state income tax, nearly 10%. Uh, California, 13.5%. 
Both those states are in debt up to their eyeballs. California, you know, you're in debt, $54 billion. No wonder why, you know, I'm watching uh, Gavin Newsom. Oh, it's the right thing to do. We've got to take care of the people in, in our state. We've got to be bailed out. No, you don't. If it's not COVID-related, not going to happen. Linda, I sent you a tweet that I saw this weekend, which I really liked. Now, I said there are a few places I can't figure out how do you possibly do it? How do you open up a restaurant? Now I'm seeing people in masks, except obviously when they're eating. Uh, now I got this picture from, uh, I, I forgot, I was on Twitter, what it might look like in casinos. And I was shocked at how brilliant this was. Everybody's sitting around a table six feet apart. And you got the dealer six feet apart. Everybody's in a mask. It's plexiglass. Everybody, They're separated by plexiglass. It's very plexi- smart. It, I, I was stunned by that. I people are smart. They're very. I, I should have thought of it. I probably you know we'd well, be able to start a business. Those poor people are losing so much more, so much money. It's horrible. So they're making a big deal on left-wing media. In Long Island, they have this uh, channel. It's called News 12 Long Island. And anyway, so you got this guy, Kevin Vesey. Is that his name? A reporter out there. Yeah, that's it. Um, posting footage of his Twitter feed. And I guess he did a live Twitter video thing. And the protesters, fake news is not essential. You're the virus. You know, go home. Listen to what happened. Just trying to get by on the sidewalk, that's all. Well, you shouldn't be here, you fake news. You stopped you airing the Trump briefings and you keep airing Cuomo briefings. Go home, Straight you fake news. Go home. You're destroying something in Long Island. You are the enemy of the people. You are fake news. You are the enemy. We all know it. You are fake news. We know that your liberal agenda. We know you want to keep your job. We get it. You're not getting advertiser dollars in right now. You want you're not going to answer? So you're just going to go live. It's sort of like, go back to the Trump rallies. Remember they would chant CNN uh, sucks or fake news? You know, listen to this. Well, that's shown we got to pull up because that's a little old, but we'll get that. I asked for that. I asked for that before the show, but let's 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 let let bygones be bygones. Now, imagine in New York, it's getting very tense now. People have had it all weekend long. All I saw on TV were people in New York outside of bars. They were drinking. Look, the only thing I would add, and I I love the fighting spirit of Americans, love they want to get back to living in normal life. A lot of people at these protests, there's no social distancing at all that I can see. Um, A couple there are, but not most of them. And outside these bars, not a whole lot of social distancing, but I did see some people with masks on, but a lot of people without them. That is probably the biggest danger you have that would facilitate a large rebound, not just a hot spot rebound, but a large rebound. And I know it's, I, it's it probably is like the biggest pain in the neck getting lectured by a bunch of politicians that are in, a bunch of incompetent idiots. But 
I, I'm looking at it from a whole different point of view. I'm not looking at it that Governor Cuomo or Comrade de Blasio are telling me what to do or not do. For me, it's like, okay, if I get the virus, I'll be fine. If I'm around some older people that are, have underlying conditions or have some type of immune system compromise, I don't want to give it to them. So, And it's only a short period of time. Probably at some point, things will slow down, get better and better throughout the summer. We'll watch for the fall potential rebound. And then I think the medical community is going to, you know, shock the world as they always do and come up with the answer, be it a treatment or some type of well, what they're describing here. What I described earlier was a treatment. It wasn't even coronavirus. I don't think they were injecting, uh, but it's creating the antibodies. And we'll get to uh, Obama's little cheap, cheap shots at uh, Donald Trump. That's coming up today. Um, you're just watching, you know, governors now being swamped by these lawsuits what was the, I thought flatten the curve. When did flatten the curve ever become, we won't open up until we have a cure? Well, then I guess we're never leaving our house because there's always going to be something, uh, which the, I guess it was uh, Garcetti out in Los Angeles saying that. Um, now Michigan doctors are suing over the shutdown. Doctors want to be able to go into work. Now, we're also running a risk here because elective surgery has now been put on the side for such a long period of time. That's going to be problematic down the road. The elites, uh, Illinois business owners facing fines. I mean, they're taking away in Michigan the license of a barber guy that's been doing it 40 or 50 years. Illinois business owners are going to face jail time if they reopen their business. You know, America is sat back here. This is what Washington and these governors haven't figured out. The American people have stood back. They've studied this. They have watched closely. We know now more than ever. We know that when you protect the elderly, those with underlying conditions, protect nursing homes, protect long-term care facilities, you're going to save a lot of lives and not do what New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania and Michigan did. We know that people wearing masks, as they did in the middle of this shift show in New York and Long Island, they do what they do better. Now we're having some confusion over the, the numbers of, of people that might have contracted it. You know, I've heard anecdotal arguments on both sides of it. I'm not going to get lost in, in, on top of that. I know in New York, they weren't even they were just saying COVID-19, but they didn't even know if people had COVID at all. Um, James O'Keefe put out some pretty fascinating video on that. But now, if you're listening to the Democratic governors, now it's all become about money. Now, the Democratic governors, now they say we have an obligation to uh, be bailed out by Washington. Really? Why should red states that balance their budgets... Why should red states that fund their pensions, why that why should they be paying for the waste, fraud, abuse, mismanagement of their funds to bail out other states that have not been fiscally responsible? They're not going to do it. All right. So that was uh, a moment that took place at a sports center facility, workout place thingy, whatever you call those places, gym. And anyway, so they have this order. At, in New Jersey. And so th that was the police officer that came up and said, uh, yeah, um, I see that you're not in following the rules. You all have a great day. See ya. And walked away. Like, I'm not getting involved in forcing people whether or not they can go to the gym or not go to the gym. 
Um, this, this was funny in Long Island. So Nassau County, they have a local executive. County executive is what they call this person. The name is Laura Curran. And so she made a big announcement that the tennis courts have reopened in time for Memorial Day on Long Island. Okay. Do we have the cut yet? We're getting it, boss. I got to edit one thing out but of it. It's th- not airable. Just, I'll just put it in and hit the beep. Uh, every player, I'm not even going to say, if I say it, it's going to go viral. I, <laughs> and anyway, it did go viral on the uh, internet. And a lot of people have just been dying over this thing because uh, they they have specific rules. If you're playing tennis, like one person only gets to play with the yellow tennis balls. The other one gets to play with the pink tennis balls or the green tennis balls or whatever color tennis ball you got. I didn't know they I think I yeah, I think I've seen pink. Well, you are balls. a tennis aficionado, so if anybody would understand this. Yeah, exactly. Uh anyway, it was pretty funny. Uh let me go to some other news here. Uh so Barack Obama does this, I guess, town hall uh commencement speech. And anyway, and what does he do? What Barack Obama does best, and that is take shots at Donald Trump when he can. He's been somewhat quiet. Now, I have my own theory on this. Now that we know about the January 5th meeting, now we know the House Intelligence Committee testimony of Sally Yates. And after this January 5th meeting, uh, she was asked to, along with Jim Comey, super patriot, to stay back. And that's where Yates said she was shocked to learn that Obama knew all about the unmasking of General Flynn and, and et cetera, et cetera. So... I think part of this is a distraction. I think part of this is uh, people are saying, Joe can't win without you, Barack. We need you. Uh, But this is what he said about Donald Trump. This pandemic has shaken up the status quo and laid bare a lot of our country's deep-seated problems. From massive economic inequality to ongoing racial disparities to a lack of basic health care for people who need it. It's woken a lot of young people up to the fact that The old ways of doing things just don't work. That it doesn't matter how much money you make if everyone around you is hungry and sick. And that our society and our democracy only work when we think not just about ourselves, but about each other. It's also pulled the curtain back on another hard truth, something that we all have to eventually accept once our childhood comes to an end. You know, all those adults that you used to think were in charge and knew what they were doing, turns out they don't have all the answers. A lot of them aren't even asking the right questions. So if the world's going to get better, it's going to be up to you. Second, do what you think is right. Doing what feels good, what's convenient, what's easy, that's how little kids think. Unfortunately, a lot of so-called grown-ups, including some with fancy titles and important jobs, still think that way, which is why things are so screwed up. I hope that instead you decide to ground yourself in values that last, like honesty, hard work, responsibility, fairness, generosity. You know, the first thing is I'm listening to this uh, over the weekend. I'm just, wow. I'm just thinking this guy was, he did the worst job. When this all gets going soon, which is the election, Barack Obama is not going to, and I think some way in his own head, he thinks he's going to be able to come in as the anointed one and save Joe Biden from himself. Even his own 
top of, uh, advisors like David Axelrod is like, yeah, he if he can't cut it, he needs to get out. You know, you either make it on your own or you don't make it on your own. So it, it's just interesting he wants to get in now. Is it in part because he knows that that, that January 5th, 2017 meeting where he knew all about the unmasking of General Flynn, that the main question remains, what did you know? When did you know it? Because that's a important question that he's going to have to answer at some point. And the same if he doesn't answer it, well, sleepy, crazy Joe Biden, the ever confused one, is going to have to answer it also. So the president now uh, rightly called out Obama for being grossly incompetent. Now, we talked more about this in, in the beginning of this pandemic, You know, if you go back H1N1, or as Joe calls it, N1H1, what happened? Swine flu. That virus in particular, well, that impacted kids. And we had a couple of hundred thousand people hospitalized. And before Obama himself said it was a, you know, national emergency. Now, he did have one health official declare an emergency, but not him. There were a thousand people dead by that point. Now, it was not anywhere near as deadly a virus as coronavirus. So he never dealt with this type of virus before. And uh, to add insult to injury, Joe Biden was saying that it's uh, hysteria, xenophobic and fear mongering. The travel ban that two months and three days later, he said, was probably a good idea. Only because it's obviously been a good idea. It, it, it is incalculable how many lives were saved as a result of that one decision, January 31st of of last of the I'm sorry, of this year. First known case, Corona, January 21st travel ban, January 31st. Nobody thought Donald Trump should be putting in place a travel ban. The only other people that we put in travel bans, that would be China. You couldn't fly to Wuhan from any other part of China, and you couldn't fly out of Wuhan to any other place in China. But international flights, they kept those open. Obviously not caring about we, the rest of the world. And in terms, you want to talk about somebody's economic record? Well, remember, the jobs didn't ever come back, those jobs. Well, manufacturing jobs did come back. Prior to this virus, what do we have? Record low unemployment, shattering one record after another. What do we have after eight years of, of Joe and Obama? 13 million more Americans on food stamps, 8 million more in poverty, lowest labor participation rate since the 70s, lowest home ownership rate since, uh, in 50 years. I mean, the worst recovery since the 40s. Now, I don't think Joe Biden can figure out how to make any economy run, so that's all going to be in play in 169 days. And if anybody was incompetent, it was, it was Biden-Obama. You know, oh, I'll have more flexibility after the election. Oh, uh, let's give mullahs in Iran chanting death to America. Let, let's give them uh, $150 billion in cash and other currency. Uh, what did he do for world? All we know is he hated Kim Jong-un and General Flynn. And he knew all about General Flynn's unmasking. And that would be a question you need to have answered. Unbelievable. And he's also notice he's even sounding more socialist. You want to talk about radicalism? And he brought up the case of this terrible shooting down in, in Georgia. And I think back to his radicalism. And you think back of what? Uh, black liberation theology, the pews of Reverend G.D. America, 
starting his political career in the homes of heirs and Dorn. The country's over Barack Obama. Nobody cares about Barack Obama and what he has to say. Barack Obama, you know, we beat back the caliphate and ISIS that built up under his time because he had handcuffs on our military with these ridiculous rules of engagement. Unbelievable. But let's go to line four. Rob in New York. What's up, Rob? How are you? Hey, how are you? Yeah, what's going on? Uh, I am the guy that started to chant fake news is not essential in Comac with a couple of other guys the other day um, on Thursday. This was and, in Comac, you know, right? Comac, Long Island. Yes, we were on 454 in a Macy's parking lot. And then we continued. We had another rally yesterday over in uh, East Meadow, and I made a nice 4 by 8 sheet of plywood that said fake news is not essential. Now, what I'm hearing from the media is that that narrative is coming from the president. But what they don't understand is what the president did by retweeting that was just echoing what the people are saying. We're not we're not parroting the president. The president's speaking for us. He understands the frustration we're going through, especially in a state like New York. You know better than anybody else that we have to live under Cuomo's rule. And, you know, listen, I've been working through this whole thing. I'm earning my full living. I'm grateful for it. But I'm out there fighting for the people that aren't. And if somebody doesn't stand up, then nothing's going to get done. Let me tell you, I never really looked at what the rules, the laws are, but there were certain people that were doing some work for me in the middle of all of this. And I just put in place, you know, a mandatory wear your mask, keep each other safe. Everybody turned out fine because I I didn't have the heart to tell them. I did not have the heart to tell them, oh, sorry, you're not coming to my house. You're not going to do the work. I didn't have the heart to do it. And I, I, everyone got a lecture. They, everyone was told, wear the stupid mask, you know, social distance, do it step by step. I don't care how much extra time you take. It's going to be fine. And I was not going to send these guys home because they need to feed their families. It's just well, a, and I, the problem is, is we were told to flatten the curve, Sean. We did that. We, we, yes. Our curve is all the way down. I mean, we have 11 hospitals in Nassau County, and I think we have 119 patients on ventilators. I mean, come on. We have to open up this whole entire state. We need to get business going again. There's such a high demand. I mean, listen, I, I appreciate you letting guys work in your house, but the fear narrative that the media is driving is not allowing other people to let people work in their no, house. Listen, I, I have my friends that are contractors. I have my buddies that work in the restaurant business. I have a lot of friends that have been really struggling, and their employees are really struggling. And, like, I'll tell you what I'm doing. I'm projects that I otherwise would have waited to do, I'm doing them now. If it can That's keep it. some guy. And, they, and because it's just... Look, I just I've been there. I know what it's like. It sucks when you live in paycheck to paycheck. Um, and you know the what? The only Sean, thing I I'm going to say, I, I, I'll, the only thing I want to just sorry. give you some. This is this is your friend Sean Hannity. This is not Governor Cuomo. I did notice at the rally, and I watched it a number of times. And this dope from Channel Twelve, whoever he is, yeah, you know, I'm like he was purpose. Stay away from me. You're not socially distant. <laughs> I nearly died laughing. Um, I would just say, because do you have older people you get in touch with, Rob? Yeah, in contact absolutely. with. Okay, absolutely. But you know what? Listen, what I do is I, and and by old I mean you know the classification of old now is is over fifty five. So yes, 
you know, I have guys that are working for me that are over 55 on construction sites. But, you know, the problem is we need to just be adults about this. We need to be treated like adults. We know what the right things are to, are, are to do. I have guys working right now. They have masks on. They're staying six feet apart. We learned what to do. We, we know what's right and what's That's wrong. That's been my point. And, We've know, learned what to do. For example, you don't send COVID-19 patients into nursing homes. You don't send them into long-term care facilities. You, by the way, you know what Cuomo said today? You're not going to believe this. Well, first, remember, he wouldn't. you couldn't get hydroxychloroquine unless you went into a hospital. If you didn't have COVID when you went in, you likely had it when you left. Then, remember, he makes this, this he was telling us, de Blasio telling us, oh, everything's fine, go out on the town. We're New Yorkers. We're not like everybody else. We're, we, all, we have the best hospital system in the world. Donald Trump saved New York's backside because they Absolutely. were not prepared. He built the hospitals, manned the hospitals. I mean, he did everything imaginable, every bit of medical equipment. Now, Cuomo then says to the nursing homes, it's not my responsibility to have given you the PPE. And I'm like, what? Imagine if Trump said that. Today he says, we lost 139 people yesterday in hospitals. Uh, who's accountable for those 139 deaths? Well, how do we get justice for those families that had 139 deaths? What's justice? Uh, who can we prosecute for those deaths? You know what he says? Nobody. He goes, nobody. Exactly. Mother nature, he said. Then he goes on. God, people are going to die by the virus. That's the truth. Older people, vulnerable people are going to die from the virus. This is going to happen despite whatever you do. Well, no, because in the states where they protected the old people, Rob, they lived. Yes. And I'd, I'd love to end with one point, Sean. I tell people all the time, if we lost 3 million people to this virus where we will not come anywhere close, but if we lose 3 million businesses that employ 50 million people, that will be far worse than any coronavirus that could ever come through here. Rob, here's my friendly advice, and I say this as a friend. Not, this is not a Cuomo de Blasio comment. I saw the protest. I wish people would wear the masks, and I'll tell you why. Don't do it for yourself. I don't I don't want to wear a mask. You think I want to put a stupid mask on? I don't want to wear a mask. I hate that thing. But I do it because I do come into contact with older people. If I get it and then I passed it on to somebody else, they could die. So for the short period of time until we get this thing behind us, which we will, we always do. I, I'm willing to do that. What do you say? You know what? I, I, I agree in a store. But when you're out in the open and, you know, listen, I mean, no, I'm Obviously, not talking about the fresh air. Maybe a stadium. Would you wear it in a stadium if that meant you can go to a Yankee game or a Mets game? Yeah, if, if, if it meant that we can bring sports back and fill every seat in that stadium, everybody wear a mask. I'm all in, Sean. Yeah, I mean, and I'm, I'll be the first to say it's a pain in the ass. But for other people, and to get life back to normal, I'll wear the mask. All right, good call, Rob. Good luck to your company, too, buddy. This pandemic has shaken up the status quo and laid bare a lot of our country's deep-seated problems, from massive economic inequality to ongoing racial disparities to a lack of basic health care for people who need it. It's woken a lot of young people up to the fact that the old ways of doing things just don't work, that it doesn't matter how much money you make if everyone around you is hungry and sick, and that our society and our democracy only work when we think not just about ourselves, but about each other. It's also pulled the curtain back on another hard truth. 
something that we all have to eventually accept once our childhood comes to an end. You know, all those adults that used to think were in charge and knew what they were doing, turns out they don't have all the answers. A lot of them aren't even asking the right questions. So if the world's gonna get better, it's gonna be up to you. Second, do what you think is right. Doing what feels good, what's convenient, what's easy, that's how little kids think. Unfortunately, a lot of so-called grown-ups, including some with fancy titles and important jobs, still think that way, which is why things are so screwed up. I hope that instead you decide to ground yourself in values that last, like honesty, hard work, responsibility, fairness, generosity. Honesty. Uh, like your doctor, keep your doctor. Like your plan, keep your plan. And everybody on average is going to save $2,500 per family per year. You know, 40% of the country, 40%, nearly fully 40% of every county in this country now has one Obamacare option. That's it. And everybody is paying on average 200% more. Really? Obama brought this country together? Yeah, I don't think that Obama was very good at uh, bringing us uh, together. Uh, but anyway, here to uh, weigh in on that and handicap where we are. We are 169 days away from uh, Election Day, where you, the American people, become the ultimate jury. He's the architect, Carl Rove. He's been going over these numbers. You watched Obama this weekend. What do you think of Obama? Uh, really, look, put off. I mean, he turned what could have been a magical moment for a lot of kids graduating from college into a, you know, to partly into a political diatribe. I mean, you know, look, he, he didn't need to sit there talk about, as he, in that uh, segment you just ran, grownups with fancy titles and question their motives. I mean, that was clearly aimed, as he often aims at, at his political opposition. So one of the things he routinely does is question the motive. So the people who disagree with him, they're, 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 they're not trying to do the right thing. I mean, it couldn't be that we, we sometimes have a different opinion about what the right thing is to do when it comes to public policy. It's that there's only one right policy, and that's whatever Barack Obama thinks. And if you think something different, it's because you're not trying to do the right thing. I mean, and then the, the sideswipe at the president and then all the people around the president saying, you know, the, the people in charge of the pandemic, uh, you know, they, they don't know what they're doing. I mean, you know, let's set the president aside for a minute. I can understand why Barack Obama would, would never want to say something nice about him, despite the fact that very nice things have been said about the president by the Democratic governors of New Jersey and New York and California for his leadership in this moment. But think about it. It was just the way he did it was a slur and a slander on Dr. Fauci and Vice President Pence and Secretary Azar and Dr. Burks and Dr. Redfield and Dr. Collins and all the people who have endeavored so hard in the midst of an unusual and very challenging moment to do the right thing for America. And uh, I, I love the lectures, though. Uh, we can I compare yeah. how he handled the H1N1 fiasco. Now, that that was not anywhere near the level of a pandemic that this one is. Uh, but no. he still the, no. himself didn't declare it a national emergency. By the way, never replenishing. The, the national stockpile for medical equipment and respirators and everything else. So he left the president, you know, hanging on all of that also. And you want to talk about divisive? Uh, the Church of GD America. Need I say a lot more? Yeah. yeah. Well, and look, you, you touched on a really critical point. How could you go through? You're right. The, 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 the pandemic that he faced the prospect of was minuscule compared to this. 
but he, they did run down the national strategic stockpile of N95 masks, and and he didn't replenish it. So the cupboard was bare when the when the government went when the Trump government went to try and find out what was there, and and they had not done it. They had not replenished it. I mean, this is this is malfeasance, and and it gives him no right. At least it ought to give him a little humility when he goes out and criticizes people. But it doesn't give him a right to sort of take the broad brushstrokes that he's been taking the last few weeks. Let me go towards a, well, and one other thing. Joe Biden was against the travel ban. Now, Carl Rove, <laughs> why Donald Trump, 10 days after the first identified coronavirus case in the U.S., that was January 21st. January 31st, well, Joe Biden called the president's travel ban that he implemented that day, 10 days after the first case, he called it xenophobic hysteria and fear-mongering. Now, two months and three days later, he kind of sounded like he supported the travel ban. Then there was subsequent travel bans. Then there was the quarantine. We haven't had a quarantine, Carl Rove, in, in what, 50-plus years. He yeah. did. How much worse could this have been to this country had those early efforts while they were impeaching the president not been put in place? Oh, terrible. I mean, just dreadful, un- unbelievable. And you're right. He, he, Joe Biden, immediately attacked it as xenophobic and racist. We had um, Nancy Pelosi go out and uh, to Chinatown in uh, San Francisco and implore people to come to Chinatown because, uh, you know, in a response to the president's uh, travel ban. What it gets me is that Nancy Pelosi today still attacks the travel ban by saying, well, he allowed 40,000 people into the United States. Yeah, he did. 40,000 American citizens and American green card holders who would have otherwise been stranded in China. Does Nancy Pelosi really want to look those families in the face and say, rather than accept you back into the United States as a citizen, just simply because you were traveling in China, you should have to rot in some cheap hotel over there while you were quarantined? I mean, you know, it's amazing to me what, 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 what people are being driven to in this moment. The other thing on coronavirus, and Carl, I can tell you from firsthand experience being right in the middle of all of this, there was never a moment where grocery stores didn't have any food. Uh, the shelves were full except for toilet paper and paper towels. Every, every time I went, all of the workers there never shut down. They all wore their masks, and I go in every week, and they're still all working, meaning they didn't get sick. And and then I look at, you know, everything that the president did every step of the way, building the hospitals in New York, manning the hospitals in New York, and, and converting them to COVID-19 capability. What did Cuomo, what did the governor of Pennsylvania, what did Murphy in New Jersey, what did Whitmer do? Their executive orders force people into nursing homes with COVID-19, long-term care facilities. Uh, and now Cuomo's statement today is, well, if people die. There's nothing we can do. They were going to die anyway. Could you imagine if Trump said that? Yeah. Well, and, and look, nobody's ever going to get it perfect. And that's one of the amazing things to me is, is that uh, the critics of the president, uh, it's like, you know, everything has to be done right. And you have to have been prescient and you have to be seen everything and do everything. And, don't give him credit for anything he does, and let's just harp on, you know, this hasn't been perfect, and people have died. Well, we're facing an unprecedented, for a century, we have not faced anything as threatening as this. It was the so-called Spanish flu, the great influence of 1918, 1919, that was the last time the country 
dealt with this. And the country was far less urban but back then. A lot more people lived in the, out in rural America. We weren't as concentrated. I mean, 3% of the land mass of the lower 48 contains 80% of the nation's population. That's how big our cities are and how dangerous it can be in a time of pandemic to live and work in those cities. And and yet we're coming through, and we're coming through, and we ought to be taking pride in it. You, you mentioned the, the people who manned the cash registers at our grocery stores, and think about the delivery people who had to bring those uh, those those products to market. Think about all the manufacturers and the agriculture and the processors and the, the, the bakers and makers and doers who who have kept us fed in the midst of all this. And think about all the people who are struggling to keep their small businesses together uh, and, and uh, against the moment when they can co- when they can return to business. I've, I've got friends here in Austin, and some of them who've, whom I've known for a long, long time, who've done extraordinary things to try and keep their businesses uh, productive and ready to go when the moment comes. And in New York, they were sending these people to, to what was ultimately a death sentence for others when they went there. Yeah. All right. Uh, and, yeah. and it was the largest and fastest in medical mobilization in the history of mankind. Let's go. We're 169 days out. Uh, I still, to this day, you can't convince me that Donald Trump polls like any conventional politician. I don't think he's he polls well. Um, looking at the numbers, Joe Biden living in his basement having a, a very difficult time of uttering three sentences, putting them together, or even getting his podcast online. Where do you see the election as of today? Well, look, I think it's going to be everything points to it's a tight, close election. I mean, uh, the, the president is a disruptor. He's disrupted politics as usual. And uh, people had strong opinions about him in 2016, and those opinions haven't abated on one side or the other. Now, Biden is going to, Biden has secured the nomination of the Democratic Party. We're now seeing and hearing a little bit more of him. We, he had a big positive moment when he became the nominee of the party. So, you know, look, I wouldn't expect him to be other, uh, anywhere other than he is. But this is going to be a very tight election. Neither man can take it for granted. And it's going to be fought out over a relatively small number of states, the most critical of which, of course, are Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Michigan. But they're also, you know, there are other, the Democrats are going to be coming for Arizona. Think about this. If they take Pennsylvania and Michigan and the second district of Maine or the uh, second district, the third district of, of, of uh, Nebraska and everything that Hillary Clinton won, Joe Biden is president. So, or if he takes Arizona and Michigan and Pennsylvania, he's got, uh, you know, he's got room to spare. Or he takes Florida and anything else like North Carolina or Arizona or Wisconsin or Michigan or Pennsylvania. So the president's got to be fighting hard on the on the on, on the on the battle in the battleground states. And actually, the CNN poll. Think about this: the CNN poll showed in the 15 battleground states, seven of them won by the president, eight won by Hillary Clinton. Showed the president up by four points. Do you know what he won those states by in 2016? Sean, what? One point three percent. One point three percent. Oh, it was because, tight. Yeah, because he lost. He lost. He lost eight of them. Won seven of them, and won the, the overall vote in those in those states. Twenty five million, almost twenty six million to 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 a couple of hundred thousand votes less. But he won it by one point three one three percent, and he's ahead in those states by four percent, according to a CNN poll, which is what? you suspect. 
might not be exactly. Oh no, uh, not at all. Why advantage. are you so convinced that there's no way they try to replace Biden? Because look, if he had a fastball, it's gone. If he had a curveball, it's gone. If he had a change-up slow pitch, it's gone. He seems really out of it, confused, stammering, stuttering, stepping in it every second of the day. Well, I think for a couple of reasons. One, uh, his wife is never going to go in and say to him, honey, hang it up. Uh, he first ran for office in 1972, uh, got elected to the U.S. Senate. He first declared for president in 1987. Think about that. 30-some-odd years ago, he was he ran, started running for president. James Carville famously said that running for president is like sex. You never want to do it just once. And he's obviously under that, you know. So she's not going to walk in and tell him. Second of all, he's not going to break the promise with his son. If you listen to him talk, when he gets really emotional and it sounds truly authentic. And, I, and look, I assume the moment happened. I'm not going to suggest it didn't, but the moment that, 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 that he talks about was real conviction is a moment, the deathbed of his son, Bo, and his son, Bo, is saying to him, Dad, you got to promise me you're going to run. And, and, and as a result, he's not going to take me... himself out. But the most right. important reason is, I'm sorry. I, I got to run. Who does he pick as his VP? Then we got to roll. Darned if I know. But the most important reason he doesn't run is that, that he continues to run. The establishment of the Democratic Party knows if he... Is replaced. There's they don't want Bernie. Going for Bernie. They're going yeah. for Bernie, and they don't want that. Yeah, that's right. All right, Carl Rove, the architect. Thank you. 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. Kevin Harvick is about to become the 14th driver in NASCAR Cup history to reach 50 career victories, breaking a tie with Tony Stewart for 14th. Harvick wins NASCAR's return to action at Darlington. Thank you guys. Awesome job. Awesome, awesome, awesome. This weekend, finally, we got some sports up and running and NASCAR opening up this weekend. Fans eager to see the rollout, the next steps. Now, there was this golf tournament this weekend and the president called into NBC Sports uh, to talk about how important sports are to this country. And the call took place during what was the, the Taylor made driving relief event in Florida, the first televised golf event in about two months. He said, we need to get sports back. We miss sports. We need sports in terms of the psyche, the psyche of our country. We want to get back to normal. We have big crowds. They're practically standing on top of each other, not where they're worried. Anyway, Jim Gray is uh, with us. He's a good friend of mine, number one. Number two, uh, he is the host of Westwood One's Monday Night Football pregame. Uh, also was involved in the boxing world for many, many years. Uh, Jim, I've been talking a lot. Of, my, I have a plan to open Yankee Stadium. Me and Randy Levine have worked it out. You have the turnstile temperature checks. Everybody gets a Yankee mask if they don't have a mask. Uh, if you want to start out every other seat, I guess you can. But hopefully the the, the goal would be to open up the stadium. Uh, I have the inside scoop and in what's going on with Major League Baseball and their plans to open up. Uh, I think it can be done safely. And I think that we're just going to have to protect the vulnerable by wearing the masks. And it's only an interim period of time. Sean, it's always uh, great to talk to you. I uh, hope you're doing well. Uh, oh, you well mentioned how about the, you? Uh, I'm doing great. We're doing well. We're just uh, out here in California and hoping things will get back opened up. And uh, 
Hope that everybody's safe and well. Yesterday on NBC, that golf event was great with uh, Rory McIlroy and Dustin Johnson. And you know who put that on? Jimmy Dunn, who did so much after 9-11. He's the president of Seminole. That was the first oh, time Seminole was ever on television. Tell, uh, I'm going to take a, I'm going to diverge here. Tell everybody about Jimmy Dunn, and I'm not surprised it was him. Jimmy Dunn was a hero of 9-11. What do you hear this quick story? Well, of course, he suffered tragedy. Uh, his company was in the building. Uh, one of the buildings that came down, and he the, lost so the world, many the world, You're talking about the World Trade Center 9-11. Correct. And so many people in his company uh, perished. And he has taken care of all those families. He's educated the kids. He's made sure they're all financially squared away. He's taken care of all of their health concerns. This is a guy who has had thousands, thousands of acts of kindness to help all of these victims from 9-11. And he's now the president uh, of Seminole Golf Club. He's a huge golfer. And that day on 9-11, just by God's luck, by a quirk of fate, he went golfing that morning, was coming to work in the afternoon. So he wasn't in the building. But this is just a guy who's dedicated his life to helping others. And yesterday was another example. $5.5 million, Sean, he raised by giving yep. up that golf now, course with Rory McIlroy and those guys. And every single family that lost their loved one that day on 9-11, he took care of every family, took care of all their health care, took care of all their school needs, college tuition, everything. Even the unborn children, people yeah. who weren't even in the world yet of, of, of some of those victims. He's, he's just a wonderful guy. Uh, he, he is a true American hero, and, and he continues to give. He, he is the example of the way to go about your life and helping others. Totally agree. Great guy. Great man. Um, all right. Wonderful so now man. NASCAR starts. Uh, I have, I've gotten a little wind of what is actually in MLB's plans to open up major league baseball. Uh, it's going to be a shortened season. They maybe in the beginning, they start with no crowds, but one thing we learned in New York, Jim, is that, you know, every week when I'd go to the, my drugstore or go to my grocery store, everybody wore masks, and I saw them every week. And I, I was there yesterday, and I asked the guy, did anyone get sick? No. Nobody got it. And they were around a lot of people because the shelves were full all over New York and Long Island the whole time. They fed us. Well, we need sports, Sean, and we need sports to come back, but we have to do it safely. And all of these guys who are, who are trying to do this, here's, here's as we look forward. The negotiation with the players' union is going to be a very difficult negotiation on how they can come to financial terms. Now, I know nobody wants to hear this. They don't want to hear millionaires fighting with billionaires. The problem is for the owners of these clubs to open up baseball uh, under the circumstance right now with pro rata share of paying players, they're going to lose. The best-case scenario for an owner would be to lose $70 million. Other teams will lose $150 million. So that's not a great equation to open your doors to have no fans and to lose that kind of money. So the players' union, in this instance, they're a very strong union. They're a great union. They've done incredible work, and Marvin Miller is now uh, you know, going to go into the Baseball Hall of Fame after all of these years for what he did all those years ago. But it really shouldn't be a negotiation like this. It should be where everybody can come out well, because if the owners have to suffer this type of financial loss, uh, it's going to be an equation where they're not going to want to open their doors. So hopefully uh, Tony Clark and those who run the union will see to it that this is not 
your usual circumstance. And so things are going to have to make, they're going to have to make accommodations, otherwise we're not going to have baseball. But I think the NBA is inching closer to coming back. I think we're going to see a playoff there. I think they're going to take the teams and either sequester them in Orlando or Las Vegas or have a Western facility and an East Coast facility, probably Disney World. And the NBA, I believe, is going to figure out a formula uh, with no fans, well, they'll be able to come back, and, and that'll be great. I th- but there's got to be a way and a point. You know, one of the things we've noticed in New York, for example, the people that sheltered in place, putting aside the whole nursing home debacle, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Michigan, it was just a debacle. These ex- executive orders forcing nursing homes and long-term care facilities to take in these COVID patients I mean, it spread like wildfire all throughout every facility. That's where, you know, fully in New York, a third of the death came from. So there's got to be a way to do it and do it safely. I like these thermo temperature checks, uh, turnstiles. I like the idea everyone has to wear a mask to start. We, we expect at some point, probably late fall, there's a good shot this is behind us for a lot of different reasons. One way or the other, we, we're hoping. But in the meantime, we get to live life. It's the lifeblood of our our psyche. I think the president is right. Uh, it seems to me that they can do it and do it safely. If the fans cooperate, I'm, I'm sure nobody wants to wear a mask. I don't want to wear a mask, but I'd wear it just to go to the game. Well, I think you're going to have different circumstances in different locales. Uh, some places, uh, the public and things are open up, and 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 those uh, governors have decided that it's okay, and 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 they're going to do it. But I think in other places, uh, I live in California, and and out here, it, it's much different, where they have decided that they're not going to let crowds assemble, and so this would impact very definitely. So if the, so if if there's a willingness, say, for in Milwaukee, for the fans to be able to come. And then there's an unwillingness, say, for example, in Oakland or Los Angeles for there's where they can't come, then you have to somehow get this equation equal on the financial terms. Because if you can have fans in some places but not fans in other places, uh, then those teams uh, are, are at a disadvantage financially, yet they're paying the players. And national television makes up a lot of uh, these financial circumstances. Uh, local television, the regional cables make up the difference as well. Uh, but we're going to have to have an equitable uh, circumstance as to whether or not fans can come. Now, if fans can come in Colorado, but they can't come in, you know, certain other places, uh, it, it's it's just going to be really, really difficult because there's nothing that you form. Uh, there's there's no uniform policy here, here, Sean. Well, so I'm I'm imagining if some cities want to keep their stadiums closed, that's going to be their choice. And I, I mean, I can't imagine. I think the players understand. We're already at a shortened season. We're at, what, an 82-game season now they're talking about in baseball? They understand until they have to give back money, and then they don't understand as well. Okay, well, so they expect to get paid <laughs> I mean, for the full. They expect to get paid for the full year uh, when they only play half the games. No, they want to be paid on a prorated basis. Okay, baseball uh, owners have now offered fifty-fifty. So whatever we bring in, we split fifty-fifty, which is the same that the NFL players basically get, which is the same uh, basically uh, what the uh, NBA players get. Uh, the problem with that is is it really doesn't even work for ownership. Ownership really needs it to be about 40%, 35 to 40%. Otherwise, they're still going to hemorrhage hundreds of millions of dollars. So, you know, President Roosevelt said we need baseball. We're going to continue. President Bush, when he threw out the first pitch after 9-11 at Yankee Stadium, one of the great moments ever, 
He's it was a hell of a what? pitch, by the way, Jim. It was a great, great pitch, pitch right down the right down the strike great, zone. We did a great documentary with President Bush, a thirty for thirty on ESPN, and and boy, was that a tremendous moment. But he 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 felt like Roosevelt felt, and that was his guideline. He said, you know, we're going to grieve, and we're going to always uh, have in our hearts and mourn for those who were lost on nine eleven. But we've got to have some sense of normalcy. We have to have some sense of being able to do the things that we want to do, and we can do that through baseball. That's it's sort of like I remember when, when so Rudy... That went... can happen here now, too, but they've got to figure out the finances, because if they don't, you can't have people losing hundreds of millions of dollars, and, and then, you know, it's just it just doesn't work like that. But, the, but, the, but to me, the answer a lot, if we learned anything, if we protect the elderly population like they did in Texas and in Florida and in Georgia and... And they didn't do in New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania and Michigan. And then if you look at, well, how did New York uh, grocery stores stay open? Because everybody wore a mask. There wasn't a there was not a major outbreak. There was not a hot spot at grocery stores where these guys worked every day and kept the shelves full. So I think from those two lessons, if we asked older people, hey, just hang out this year, watch it on TV, probably not a good time to come. And and if everybody else, for the sake of others, would wear the mask when they're in the stadium, I think that's going to be fairly safe. Do you not think so? You know, I I think that it would be. But I think you also have a psychological problem here, Sean. Uh, In the past two or three months, we have now unwound 150 to 200 years of communal living, of how society operates, of being wanting to hug each other being able to go to a game and high-five each other. We've now told everybody to socially distance because we had this disease, and nobody wants the disease, and the mitigation factors were necessary and important. But that doesn't just leave people's minds. I don't see a whole lot of people wanting to shake hands, wanting to hug, wanting to go and be in places where there's a crowd now, be it an airline, be it a bus, be it a subway, be it a game, a theater, whatever it is. So you now have to once again, psychologically condition the public when it's safe to go back and do these things. And and when that timetable is, I don't know, because as Dr. Fauci and others uh, in the medical community have said, you know, the virus is on its own timetable. So whatever that timetable is, we are going to have to turn the public around and turn everybody's thought process around into thinking that it's okay to be with yeah. one another once again. Quick break. More with uh, Jim Gray on the other side. Sports, uh, Fox Sports uh, analyst Westwood One's Monday Night Football pregame. All right, as we continue with our friend uh, sportscaster, Jim Gray is with us. So as we now go forward with this, I, I'll be honest. I think it's. I think the American people, Jim, they've made their determination. Did you see New York this weekend? All these people on the beach. More people in the city than we've seen in in, um, in six weeks, and they're all out there, and many of them are not wearing the masks. There's a lot of resistance to the masks. Well, here in, here in California, uh, at least in Los Angeles, it's mandatory that you wear the mask, and I, and I think that's probably important so that it doesn't spread. But the beaches were full this uh, this weekend. Uh, you know, you talk about sports, the NASCAR race that was on Fox, it got 6.32 million viewers. That was up like 40%, 38 to 40%. The golf with the with those golfers that we talked about uh, with Rory McIlroy and Dustin Johnson and Ricky Fowler and, and Wolf uh, put on by Jimmy Dunn so brilliantly at, at, at Seminole they had a good rating. People are starving to see these sports, uh, so I think you know people are ready to get out from underneath all of this uh, 
self-isolation, and, and, and I think they just have to go about it safely and, and, and carefully. Uh, yeah. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a very fine line here, uh, and, and I'm sure that nobody wants to step over that line and put themselves at risk. But by the same I, token, listen, the reason I'm point, wearing you masks, live. you got to yeah, live. Yeah, exactly. At some point, you, and Americans are demanding it. All right, Jim Gray, great to talk to you, my friend. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, it is a, an important, critical component in America's psyche to watch sports, to be a part of sports, to follow the seasons. I think you can do it safely. Now it's a matter of whether or not they can work out this deal with the MLB. We'll continue. Because you know, uh, I've commented uh, since I have been Attorney General and, and even during my confirmation hearings that over the past few decades, uh, there have been increasing attempts to use the criminal justice system as a uh, political weapon. The legal tactic has been to gin up uh, allegations of criminality uh, by one's political opponents based uh, on the flimsiest of, of legal theories. Uh, this is not a good development. This is not good for our political life, and it's not good for the criminal justice system. And as long as I'm attorney general, the criminal justice system will not be used for uh, partisan political ends. I wanted to ask you a follow-up question I didn't get to ask during the ceremony about the Russia probe right now. Why did you decide to unmask so many individuals in 2016? Was it, gonna, was it's it false? I wanted, you wanted you to clear yeah. the record. What, why is I it false? Excuse me, I'm trying to talk to why, the I'm just asking why it was completely false. false. All right, News Roundup and uh, Information Overload Hour, 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. That was first the Attorney General, uh, Bill Barr, speaking at a, a press conference uh, earlier today, saying the review by U.S. Attorney uh, from Connecticut, John Durham, would get to the bottom of the Russia probe, uh, describing it as abhorrent, a grave injustice, uh, warned against the politicizing of uh, or the criminalizing of political differences. Think of what he's saying. Uh, uh, I do not expect Durham's work will lead to a criminal investigation, but it's a criminal investigation, which he had reiterated before. Um, not only we have Clapper and Brennan and uh, Joe Biden, uh, why would a, and we've raised this question a lot in the last three and a half years, why would a U.N. ambassador be unmasking now around 300 people and more specifically she just denied there that she's doing it and she claims she never tried to unmask general flynn but we have seven examples that came out last week of her doing the unmasking so somebody's lying who is it sean davis is the co-founder of the federalist and by the way uh has written a great column about this uh sean how are you welcome back sir i'm well thank you for having me sir all right. By the way, other updates, uh, Senator Johnson and Grassley, they now they've they've gone forward releasing the names of the Obama officials. The judge in the Flynn case. We have that whole mess continuing. Joe Biden, the day before it's revealed, he asked for an unmasking eight days before he left office is interesting. That's of General Flynn. Dennis McDonough on the infamous day of January Fifth, uh, Chief of Staff of Obama. Why did he ask? Anyway, um, we're learning a lot. And from what we're hearing from Trey Gowdy, Devin Nunes, there's a lot more to come, including Trump family members. 
Right. So I think the unmasking scandal is really just getting rolling. And as we have learned new facts about who the Obama administration unmasked, we've gotten some curious responses from former Obama officials. And I know a lot of them, when they say this, are expecting it to be a justification or a rationalization. But it sounds to me more like a confession when you have people like Samantha Power and James Clapper and Ben Rhodes say, oh, yeah, yeah, we were unmasking all the time. This is totally routine. Uh, it actually wasn't routine until the Obama administration came in and weaponized the intelligence and law enforcement community to go after their political enemies. Uh, we saw it with the IRS investigation. We saw what they did uh, uh, to spy on Congress uh, when it was doing oversight on the Iran deal. And then again on the Flynn and Crossfire Hurricane thing. So when they say this was routine, that unmasking was a normal thing, that alone is a massive confession of a huge bombshell about how they were using our spy services to go after their political enemies. Uh, the arrogance so far of all these people. Now, my sources are telling me that every one of these people whose names we have mentioned a lot in the last three and a half years, apparently have all lawyered up and all have, you know, powerful uh, top law firm uh, attorneys behind them uh, waiting for something. Um, I've got to imagine Durham is pretty serious at this point because now he's added to his staff. Number one, number two, he's taken a lot of trips abroad, I believe, for the purpose of seeing what other involvement they may have had with spying and what other deals might have been happening, and whether outsourcing of spying occurred as well to circumvent American law. But uh, clearly the, the, there's going to be consequences. According to Barr, every little crummy leaves me points in that direction. Well, I think there, there have to be consequences because if people aren't held to account for this illegal spy campaign and this what was obviously a coup operation, it's going to keep happening again and again. And I don't think Attorney General Barr could have picked a better person to get to the bottom of it than John Durham. Uh, he made a name for himself as a U.S. attorney by not just going after the mob, but going after the FBI. It was John Durham who figured out that the FBI, that some corrupt FBI agents had framed innocent men uh, for mob murders. And the reason they did it is they wanted to protect their informers in the mob. You know, actual murderous mobsters the FBI was trying to protect. And in order to do that, it, it lied to the court, it lied in documents in order to have men convicted who did nothing wrong. Several of them ended up on death row. And it was John Durham who got to the bottom of this, uh, to the bottom of a corrupt FBI. So if anyone can figure this out and hold people accountable, it's him. There was almost a threefold, well, more than a threefold increase in unmasking requests. Now, looking back at what we've discovered, and we, we know a lot more. We know that they, they used a dirty, unverifiable Russian disinformation dossier that Hillary paid for that they were warned not to use to, you know, take away the civil liberties and constitutional rights of Carter Page, but also to spy on the Trump campaign transition team and, and deep into his presidency. The entire scope memo came out and the second and third FISA warrants came out after the subsource of Christopher Steele debunked everything Steele had said. So at that point, how do they ever justify that going forward? Really nothing they did after the election was justified. You might be able to, to have this thing, uh, have a thin read uh, on, on which this whole thing could stand in early 2016. But, but by 2017, the FBI knew the dossier was garbage. They knew that they had no dirt 
on Carter Page. Uh, and the FISA court, when it was uh, told of all these facts, actually said, you know what, at least two of those spy FISA warrants against Carter Page were illegal. So if you want to be very generous and say, okay, everything they did in 2016 was fine, you have to simultaneously say everything they did after Trump won was completely illegal and, and completely dirty. And what I want to know isn't just uh, how often and what was used to unmask Michael Flynn. I want to know how many lawmakers, uh, potentially congressional Republicans, maybe even Iran deal opponents, were unmasked by the Obama administration. Well, we're hearing it might have been Trump family members. We're also hearing that it might be people in the media that were digging deep into this. Uh, Those rumors, as you know, have been circulating now for two and a half years. You're right. Yes. So so were they spying on Trump family members? Were they spying on members of Congress? Were they spying on and unmasking uh, members of the media? We know the Obama administration spied on James Rosen, spied on his family uh, for the crime of doing reporting. But this is the more we learn, the bigger this scandal gets in scope. It wasn't just about 2016. It wasn't just about Trump. Any and every political enemy of the Obama administration appears to have been targeted, uh, not just during the administration, but even afterwards. And if if you thought Watergate was a big scandal, uh, a two bit breaking of a party headquarters, this is orders of magnitude bigger, more serious and more damaging to our republic than Watergate ever was. So over at John Solomon's site, justthenews.com, I think it's a really good piece by Lee Smith summarizing possible crimes committed by Robert Mueller's group of uh, the merry band of witch hunters. And one would be disobeying the court order uh, to turn over exculpatory evidence against General Flynn. Uh, That order was given in 2018 by Emmett Sullivan, who I can't figure out now for the life of me. Uh, now, another one is uh, misrepresentation of the Papadopoulos cooperation uh, because, well, we now know that, you know, that hindered the rest. You know, this whole thing, Mueller prosecutors claim Trump volunteer Papadopoulos hindered their investigation. But when you look at declassified FBI interviews, they revealed that many of Mueller's team uh, offered exculpatory information that they withheld Um the silence about the Trump Tower meeting exculpatory evidence, they're, they're holding that back. I mean, th- this list goes on and on of all the instances in which they just don't follow normal processes or, or the law or take, quote, advantage of the chaos, deny people their Miranda rights. Uh, and they've set every one of these people up. They did. It's interesting when you compare that scope memo uh, to the list of people who were originally targeted in 2016. The original targets were... Carter Page, Paul Manafort, George Papadopoulos, and Michael Flynn. They ended up stringing uh, up three of them on stuff that really had nothing to do with the campaign, nothing to do with Russian collusion. And what I find most remarkable is what happened to Carter Page. For a year, they said he was uh, an illegal agent uh, of the foreign government involved in crimes. They couldn't find anything on that guy. So the fact that you come back after all this, they couldn't find anything on anyone and suddenly Rosenstein tells Mueller to go after the exact same four people, and, and at the same time to avoid any scrutiny of Fusion GPS or Christopher Steele, who was himself working for a sanctioned Russian oligarch at the time he did the dossier. It, it shows that the Mueller probe from the very beginning uh, was a scam, and it wasn't there to get the truth. It was there to go after Trump and cover up all the dirty deeds uh, that the Obama administration and the Comey FBI had been doing for years. 
Nobody seems to have picked up Sean Davis on the fact Obama officials like James Clapper, for example, said on CNN fake news. President Trump's campaign was aiding and abetting Russia. Now that we have these newly declassified documents, he and almost he and every other person that went before the House Intel Committee, they're all saying we saw no evidence at all of Trump Russia collusion. Uh, so I guess when he knew he was under oath, he had to tell the truth. But for PR purposes, he'd lie, just like Adam Schiff was hearing from every uh, Trump, every Obama official also saying that we have no evidence, but going out to the camera saying we have all this evidence. None of it was true. Right. And now we know why Adam Schiff uh, had refused to release all those transcripts, even though they've been declassified for more than a year. He didn't want the truth to get out. He would go on CNN and say, I have smoking gun evidence of collusion. But behind closed doors, all of his star witnesses were saying there was none. And my favorite example is Evelyn Farkas, a former Obama defense official who went on MSNBC and said, we know this and we know that about the Trump campaign's contacts with Russia and their collusion. And then when she was nailed down in uh, in the secret testimony, they said, you didn't actually know anything about anything, did you? And she said, no, I didn't. I didn't know anything. There was no collusion. And those transcripts, what's fascinating about them is what's not in them, which is any admission from any of these officials that they ever saw any evidence of collusion. All right, Sean Davis, uh, Federalist, uh, thank you so much for being with us. Great column today, great writing as always. We always appreciate you being with us. And as we uh, continue, quick call here as we say hi to John is in North Carolina. John, how are you? Glad you called, sir. Thank you very much for uh, taking my call. I'm I'm very upset with uh, this uh, rogue uh, Judge Sullivan. I do not understand why there is not an outcry from every quarter on both sides of the aisle. Here we have a judge who defies the fact that there are three branches of government, and he's trying to be two of them at the same time, both prosecution, uh, part of the executive branch, and also being a judge. And I'd like to know what is being done to try to stop him, whether that is to impeach him, or if that's too slow, can there be some kind of injunction put in place to block the second judge that he wants to bring in, which would again be bringing in uh, another prosecutor. Well, he's already bringing in somebody that had a predetermined conclusion because he wrote wrote about it in the Washington Post. So we already know where the guy is going to come down. Uh, It is unprecedented. There there is a maneuver that the DOJ can use where they can go directly to the uh, the second district in in D.C., uh, but you're not exactly looking at the most fair, balanced judges. Uh, in many ways, they're the kind of equivalent of the Ninth Circuit. But as you, it relates to everything else you're saying, you know, you got to understand, that where, why isn't there outrage from the left? They didn't care about Hillary's dossier. They didn't care about Joe's quid pro quo. They don't believe when it comes to an allegation against Joe Biden. They just it, they take on breathtaking hypocrisy. All right, quick break. Uh, When we come back, why do the Democrats want two things? They want nanny COVID spending bill, illegal immigrants being taken care of, and they want to change the voting laws in the country. Why is that? We'll explain next. Well, we put a big effort in order to uh, uh, promote democracy, which is what we are all about here, and remove obstacles to participation in our democracy. Uh, Democrats insisted on resources in this last bill uh, that the president signed last week. Uh, we had $400 million uh, to promote uh, 
voting by mail, uh, direct mail, all of that. However, it was not nearly enough. We need at least five times that much in order to really meet the needs to protect the integrity of our election uh, uh, critical infrastructure, as well as to promote um, voting by mail. Uh, it is absolutely essential at this time. So in this next bill, we hope to get more resources uh, to uh, vote by mail. And if you're doing that, you have to have funds for the Postal Service as well, which he has objected to. All right, 25 till the uh, top of the hour. There is the ever so eloquent Nancy Pelosi, somewhat forgetful like Joe herself. Uh, why is it every bill they're willing to hold up spending from the very beginning for workers, small businesses, those that are in need through no fault of their own during a national emergency pandemic? Now, of course, they were busy impeaching the president and preparing to do the little tear of the president's speech uh, before the, any of them were paying any attention to COVID-19. And we know that the president was putting in a travel ban, quarantines, uh, other travel bans, etc. But what is it about every bill Democrats now proposed? They want immigration reform. They want uh, amnesty. They want open borders. They want anybody to be able to vote. Whether you have an ID, you don't have an ID. They're always adding new Green Deal provisions. They're adding, you know, by the way, they'll say to rebuild America. Yeah, they want basically socialism all across the country. One of the things they are pushing for the hardest has to do with voting by mail. They will tell you, no, this is out of, out of an abundance of caution and safety. Uh, and by the way, they want to strip all voter ID laws. They want to remove witness requirements and signer verification. And what should concern all, everybody here, uh, the you know, if there are, we know we have instances where people vote by mail. And the easiest and best and most secure way to get somebody's identity and make sure that this person has a legal right to vote, that they are registered, that they are legal citizens, etc. Um, we should not take away people's decisions to go forward with this. Uh, a lot of this effort is being bankrolled by big Democrats because they see a political advantage in this. You know, oh, let's mail it to every home in America. Let's use the census. That's how far they would like to go with all of this. Uh, anyway, Catherine Engelbrecht is back with us. She is the founder of True the Vote. And uh, anyway, you you pointed out a, a, a lot about this mail by voting nonsense. Uh, tell us where we are at this time. And do you think they're going to ram this through? No, I mean, Sean, you nailed it. This is not about vote by mail. Oh, the convenience and the safety and the security of vote by mail. That is that is absolutely what the left wants you to think. But in fact, this is a very well-crafted and long-planned strategy, I would say, that um, it's every, every push towards, towards mail-in ballots are coming with the attendant clauses of removing signature verification and knocking down voter ID and opening up limitless ballot harvesting. Um, this, this is an engineered effort to inject chaos uh, being caused by the same groups that pre-pandemic were uh, trying to prevent states from cleaning their voter rolls, prevent states from enacting voter ID. And now they can use all of that to, be to their best advantage because they know that the voter rolls are messed up. They know that they are unreliable, pushing out all of that paper into active and inactive voters' mailboxes. No, you, you have no clue who's really getting the ballot. 
and then the tsunami of paperwork coming back in, counties can't handle it. This is absolute engineered chaos with the outcome uh, of, of an intended litigation strategy that will play out for months and months and months after November. At True the Vote, you've also gone forward with a preliminary injunction that you filed in Nevada, and in Virginia, you also filed a preliminary injunction. What's going on in those two states in particular? Well, in those states, we've, we've taken the bureaucrats to task. In Virginia, um, the governor has not only struck down voter ID, but has declared everyone in the state to be disabled. And that's how he's choosing to try to get around the, the universal mail-in push. Um, in Nevada, uh, the Secretary of State, who's a Republican, I might add, um, was pushing for same thing, universal mail-in, but also now we're seeing limitless vote harvesting. In, in Clark County, they want to actually put the vote harvesters on the on the payroll. They want to help the vote harvesters uh, disenfranchise the most vulnerable possible uh, populations. It's 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 outrageous, and um and you know and it's you know I'll tell you another thing that you don't hear a lot about. It's it's largely being done at the hands of Hillary Clinton's lawyer Mark Elias. He's the mastermind behind all of this, and it's, uh, it's, it's stunning in its breadth and depth and scope and funding. They uh, were talking no about with yeah. the, when the first COVID-19 bill came in, they were actually talking about allowing individuals to pick up as many peop- of people's ballots themselves as long as the envelope was sealed. That would be good enough. That would be sufficient enough. Well, there, there's no verification whatsoever if you do it that way. And uh, why do I not trust the person that is bringing all these extra ballots out of the goodness of their heart, I'm sure, uh, to either a, a post office or a voting place? Now, that, that's exactly right. Why would we? How could we? There, is no, there, there are insufficient security safeguards around any of this. The most secure way to cast your vote is in person at the polling place. And so what we're fighting back against are the states that are denying their voters those opportunities, which will necessarily result in a dilution of legitimate votes due to the expansion of fraudulent votes, of duplicate votes, of errant votes. Uh, It's it's this is a this is a an incredibly troubling situation. It is a tsunami that is headed for us in November that we have got to get our arms around now. True the vote is it dot com or dot org? Um, I know True. you've been around a while. What's that? True the vote dot org. Please come check us out. All right. True the vote dot org. And by the way, if there's issues going on in your state, you can contact them and they'll help you. Catherine uh, Engelbrecht, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, we appreciate your time. Thanks so much, Sean. Appreciate it. Uh, 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. All right. Sean in Texas. Sean, how are you? Glad you called, sir. Welcome aboard. Sean, man, what's going on? How you doing? I'm good. How are you holding up? I'm doing well. Hope you had a good weekend. I'm looking forward to your book. Uh, I got to tell you, first time caller, I miss Holmes. And uh, yeah, Katie, your call screener is awesome. She needs a... We got... what, why is everyone t- go, go, now? Did she tell you to say that? Because she uh, just got two bonuses. What, why? Why is this? I suspect whatever. Oh, they need a raise. Are you guys colluding, sort of like against Trump with the Russians? No, actually, I, <laughs> no, actually, Lin, Lin, Linda told me to say that. Linda did tell you to say that, right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> 
Thanks, Linda. Of I appreciate it. Oh, you're Linda, very you're welcome. It's, it's... If, all right. What, uh, what else is right. on your mind? Hey, look, it's the, what we're talking about with Comey, Strzok, Page, Clapper, Brennan. I just totally feel, I mean, I was in the military for 10 years in the infantry. Nothing's going to happen. I mean, there's not going to be any. I'm not so sure. Not look, be, even Barr's comments, I know any... uh, even Barr's comments told today where he's confirming what we already know, that there is a criminal investigation into all of this. And that is a bit, that is big news at this time. He says it is not focused on Obama. Obama, the only thing we really know about Obama, it, a couple of things. One, we know that Page and Strzok were texting that the White House wanted to be informed every step of the way. Okay, why? Then we know Sally Yates, the... January 5th Oval Office meeting with Comey and and Yates and Clapper and Brennan and uh, uh, I believe who is it Sally Yates I believe Susan Rice I'm not sure about her they were all in the Oval Office at the end of that meeting Sally Yates testified that Obama Barack asked them to stand stay back and Barack that's when he told her that he knew everything about the unmasking of General Flynn and what had happened in the phone call so to me. You know, now it's a question if he's got to answer, what did you know? When did you know it? And what was your involvement? And why did Joe Biden unmask General Flynn eight days before you left? Why did, uh, you know, why did Dennis McDonough the day of that meeting unmask? He's the chief of staff for Obama. Why did he do the unmasking that specific day? And why 15 days later to Susan Rice write an email to self Obama said to do everything by the book. She was memorializing that for a reason. Probably, my guess is they weren't doing everything by the book. Does that help you? Yeah, and I'm with you. But I also read today what uh, uh, Attorney General Barr said. He said even though some things may be absolutely politically you know, mischievous and everything like that doesn't make them illegal. Man, I'd love to see them all, you know, go to jail. But listen, I, 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 uh, nobody more than me. I've I've devoted three plus years of my life. And especially when you compare the treatment of Papadopoulos, Stone, Manafort, uh, General Flynn. Yeah, they should all be held accountable. All right, Sean, thank you. Appreciate it. Karen in Michigan. What's up, Karen? How are you? And boy, I thought we had a, a dumb bunch of politicians in New York. Governor Whitmer's right up there with them. Oh, yeah. I call her the warden. She's fantastic. <laughs> Don't cut your lawn in Michigan. You're going to get arrested. Oh, yeah. We're in lawn care, so that really was a pain in the neck. But she's gone too far now. Um, she actually is putting sick COVID patients into nursing homes. My mom happens to be in a nursing home five minutes from here. They have 18 people that have COVID, three have died, and there's only 105 people in there. I grilled the woman that's the administrator for probably 20 minutes before I actually got numbers. She was horribly difficult to get any information out. She wouldn't tell me if they were patients or if they were from outside, but this isn't the only nursing home. It's happening all over Michigan. Listen, if you want to know why the state's Every state, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Michigan, I mean, if you want to look at what the highest number of cases and the death rate was, 
it is astronomical in all of these states that forced long-term care facilities, nursing homes to take on COVID-19 patients versus, uh, let's see, Texas and Florida. You know, for example, uh, you got 22 million people living down in Florida, 29.5 million in Texas, 19.5 million in New York. Okay. No state income tax in Texas or Florida, California, 13%, New York, 8%, which is really actually 9.9. You look at the debt, the only two states that have balanced budgets are New York and Florida. You look at the COVID-19 cases, it is dramatically higher in, in these states versus say you know if you look at california new york and and especially new jersey michigan and uh other places pennsylvania whenever they put covid19 patients into nursing homes they have the by far dramatically higher death rates they and new york pennsylvania new jersey they don't have an excuse because they had all these empty beds at the javits center that that was built by the president, manned by the president, converted to COVID-19 capability by the president. And they didn't use thousands of them. It's, it's, it is a, if Donald Trump did this, I promise you it would be everywhere. It would be the biggest scandal ever in the history of this country. You know, Cuomo now saying nursing home residents who died as a result of coronavirus, they were going to die anyway. I'm like, huh? Unbelievable. But yeah, she she did one of the worst jobs and is doing one of the worst jobs. Is that still happening, by the way, there? Yeah. And here's what scares me, too. And and one day last week before noon in my neck of the woods, uh, a person that uh, lives in a trailer park my husband works for, he mows for, he killed himself on his front porch because his family left him because he doesn't have a job now. I mean, and he, that was the third. Those are the consequences they were laughing day. at when the president said it, but they're real. All right, that's going to wrap things up for today. Oh, what a tweet put out by Governor Greg Abbott of Texas comparing uh, his state in Florida to New York, New Jersey, Michigan, Pennsylvania. Uh, pretty insightful. Uh, Pete Hegseth, Dave Rubin tonight. Also, UFC's Dana White. Man, he went on an epic rant. Uh, he'll join us. Judge Janine, Jim Jordan, Mike Huckabee, Matt Gates, 9 Eastern tonight. Hannity, we hope you'll set your DVR. We'll see you tonight back here tomorrow. Thanks for being with us.